Hey, Jordan, how's it going? Hey, what's up, man? Oh, not much. I'm feeling pretty good. Actually, I just got off a big Zoom call with uh, John Ossoff and his whole team there. Oh, that's awesome. How'd that go? It was good. It was very productive. Um, okay. Yeah, it's just I was a little concerned because, you know, obviously there's this Senate runoff that's going on. Uh, if the Democrats want to uh, want to you know take power in the Senate, uh, they're going to need to win these these uh, these Senate races. And what I saw my role uh, as, I just wanted to go and make very clear, you know, our our advice that we're giving, because I think people were getting the impression that he stood for some really like toxic things that were going to really turn people off in Georgia and, and and depress the vote. You know, people were going around out there saying he supports like universal health care and like defunding the police and uh, the Green New Deal and stuff like that. And we, that's something we just have to shut it down right away. Absolutely. You know? really, yep. Yeah, really ugly. So I just wanted to make sure with his team that like, just let's make clear to everyone that Ossoff does not stand for any of that stuff. And if people come out and vote, which we hope, you know, obviously we're hoping that they will go out and vote mm-hmm. their asses off. Vote their ass off okay, in Georgia. I like that. Yeah, in the next couple of weeks. That was actually from that was mine from two years ago as well, and I'm happy we're able oh, to recycle just, it. That's great. Yeah, playing the hits, kind of an evergreen you know? type. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I like it. So I just I just wanted to make sure that as as long as uh, that no one gets the idea that he stands for this kind of stuff, just so we can ensure that he can he can win that Senate race. Oh yeah, that's it. I like that. Yeah, definitely make it clear he doesn't support Medicare for all, but maybe uh you know. As a little bone to throw to the progressives, have them tweet out something like "healthcare is a human right." Maybe yes. with some clapping emojis or something like that. Yeah, I think that'd be cool. Because then it's like a win-win. Yeah, you, you appeal to all sides. Exactly. We've never gone wrong with that kind of approach. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it's everyone really good. loves it when you do that. Yes, definitely. And uh, so you know, aside from that, um, I'm just I'm feeling pretty good this week. Uh, you know, there's a number of things that I think we should be uh, encouraged about. Um, obviously, I mean, you know about Pelosi this week, master negotiator. See, just mm-hmm. being able to watch her from a distance and watch her go to work. It's just, it's, it's always so inspiring. Um, and this week was no exception. I'm actually planning on, on getting one of those big deliveries of flowers that we can deliver to her office uh, this week just to oh. respond to, to the really great work she's been doing yes i think that'd be fantastic um thousands let's send thousands and thousands of roses yes uh she successfully navigated some tumultuous times and now uh has has is is working on a bill that would have a smaller uh, stimulus payment and some corporate liability uh protections so i think this is a win-win for everybody again we love that uh appealing to all sides type bipartisan legislative approach what better way to say thank you than taking money from people uh who are in an economic downturn struggling to make ends meet crowdfunding from them to give her thousands of roses yes and i'm seeing you know i'm seeing some like some sniping from like the left on twitter oh, the twitter left the, du- the dude bros the dude bros on the left on twitter as as always and kind of pointing out things that like well this uh the stimulus package that was supposed to have been on the table uh prior to the election uh well now it's like half it's like reduced in size by half um but hello i mean that would have wouldn't that have just helped trump and that as we know all the people struggling across America, that's the number one thing. That's their number one priority, ensuring that uh, nothing nothing benefits Trump, nothing helps him. 
I don't expect the dude bros to under, on Twitter to understand that, but it is, you know, it is kind of frustrating that they still kind, kind of grasp this basic concept that, uh, you know, yeah, the stimulus package is uh, half as much now as it may have been three, four months ago. But at the same time, you've got a president coming in now that believes in science. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, what, what more do you need other than that? Yeah, of course they wouldn't get that. Uh, you know, they're just busy posting things like, uh, help, I can't afford my health insurance. Uh, help, I'm, I'm drowning in debt. Uh, can't afford rent. Uh, help, I'm buried yeah, blah, blah, in student blah, blah, loan blah, debt. Blah, yeah. Okay, yeah, you know what I tweet back? A picture of Nancy Pelosi clapping from the State of the Union. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. At the, extremely epic. Those kind of clap. <laughs> literally a clapback to do that. Yes. Quite literally. We love it. Yeah. Yeah, because as as Biden himself said this week, you know, to like which everyone really liked, everyone really enjoyed this. You know, I don't expect he's talking about his dad as always, who says, uh, "Joey, I don't expect the government to solve my problems, but I do expect the government to understand my problems." Yeah, that's what people want right now. They don't want stimulus payments. They want to be understood. They want to be seen, and they want to be heard. Yeah, I can't. I'm at, I don't understand why anyone took offense to that. Yeah, no, I don't understand it either. It's a very privileged. Uh, it's a very privileged kind of take, um, which you know we should expect from that crowd. But anyways, let's. Uh, you want to go grab some brunch? Yep. Okay, hello. Hello and welcome, everyone. It's The Insurgents, episode 50. We're getting up there. Is it really? Getting up there in the episode Jesus numbers. Jesus Christ. We're so sorry. I know. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. A little momentous yeah. occasion. Well, I'm Rob Rousseau here, along with Jordan Ewell. Hey. And, uh, yeah. It's pretty exciting. It's almost been a full year of doing this show. We're, like, coming up on a, coming up on a year almost oh, of wow. doing it. It's pretty, pretty cool. It's been quite a journey. It has. <laughs> I mean, we let's not talk about it, but yes, it's been a journey. <laughs> yeah, a lot of ups, probably a significantly <laughs> higher number of downs by really if by far. If you're putting it on a scale, yeah. <laughs> but Yeesh. yeah, that's great though. How was uh, so you just had a week off? Not not this week, I don't think. But how was Last that? Week. I know you you don't get a lot of vacation time. How was your how was your your time off from I, working was, and doing that stuff? Nice. I slept. I just slept like all the time. And I think I slept more that week than I have in the, like the past month combined. Um, you know, in the run up to the election, it was just like maybe four hours of sleep a night. And man, I was like, geez, like 10, 15 hours a day that week. It felt amazing. Um, very nice. God, it was great. And just, yeah, just did nothing. Yeah. Clean played a lot of magic, the gathering, Played some Fortnite. Yeah, very cool. Uh, you know what I watched recently? Have you seen this? Uh, the Social Dilemma, that Netflix movie documentary. No, I've heard of it, but I've not. I didn't watch that. Is it any good? Uh, yeah, I watched it last night. It was. It's like a good primer on for for people who you know kind of generally know why big tech companies and social media and these algorithms that are just designed to keep you active on their platforms are bad. It's a really good like starting point. Um, 
and helps visualize, I think, some of the more uh, existential issues, like radicalization pipelines. I thought was very interesting how they show how these algorithms will identify different behavior patterns among, you know, a wide user base to show like, oh, this type of content keeps people on the platform longer. So let's reduce what they are typically interested in, but maybe not might not be as effective and start feeding them these other types of more radical things. And it shows like a, a pretty interestingly to me um, how it'll lead people down like these types of pipelines. And it was really, it was fascinating. Um, that had some like a mix of like experts and uh, you know, like people who are, had been at different big tech companies and social media companies, as well as like fictional depictions of this type of behavior. Uh, I, I thought it was it was a it was a good good watch. Um, you know, I didn't learn if if you're already familiar with it and have been thinking about it for a while. I mean, you're not going to take too much away. Um, that's new, but it is it is it's good. It's a good reinforcement that maybe like. I think you just be mindful of what you're consuming and and how and what you're being fed. Uh, it, it was fascinating. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting too this idea of of radicalization pipelines in the context of what's happening now with the pandemic yeah. and the sort of like anti mask movement, the sort of anti vaccine movement, all the conspiracy theories that have popped up around that. And then it's so it's interesting to see these like tech companies like Twitter or YouTube or Facebook scrambling to like try and do something about this when it's like their entire business model is predicated on rewarding people for creating this kind of like controversial content. Um, they've had zero problem with people using their platforms to spread like, you know, anti-vaccine uh, uh, conspiracy theories or all kinds of weird conspiracy theories that have, that have brought people down on these pipelines. But now that it's starting to have these like very real tangible uh, impacts on like, uh, you know, this public health crisis, they're kind of saying like, how, how could this have happened? Like we're, we're trying to do the, to do our best to eliminate this kind of misinformation, but it's like their whole, the reason these companies are as successful as they are is the fact that they've allowed this exact kind of behavior to continue. And they've actually encouraged yep. it, uh, over the last couple of years. Absolutely. Interesting to see if they're going to be actually doing anything like about that problem, uh, or if they're just going to sort of treat this coronavirus incident as kind of a one-off and try and do what they can around spreading misinformation about that or around the election, like we've seen, we've seen on Twitter, uh, and whether they're going to just try to move on from that or whether they're going to actually like meaningfully address this in any way, uh, beyond these kind of these like specific incidents. Oh yeah. They're, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be a piecemeal approach because Throughout all of these conversations, whether it's in this documentary or in congressional hearings about these types of platforms' behavior, they can never acknowledge capitalism as the root of the issue, right? Like these are publicly traded companies that need to continue yeah. increasing revenue quarter after quarter to keep investors happy, to remain solvent, to remain profitable, whatever. They Their end goal is continued growth quarter after quarter and increased profitability. They're not going to shut off this mechanism. This is the this is the core of their business model. This yeah. is their revenue generator. They're not going to stop it. Um, it's going to be okay. How can we do the bare minimum, but just enough to placate, you know, whether it's watchdogs or legislators or critics or whomever, keep investors happy, 
continue increasing profits, but quell dissent. It is, it is, it is only going to get worse. The problems are only going to evolve and going to become more difficult. And the end result is going to be some sort of like, you know, like some sort of like destruction of civilization or, you know, civil war. <laughs> so like the, that's where we're heading. Like, because it's, it profits off of people being divided and hating each other. That's where these models have evolved. That's where we're at now. That's what the algorithm is now feeding people. And at some point, it's going to just continue feeding people more and more violent content. It's so disgusting. It's bringing out the worst in humanity. Yeah. And just, I think like, as it like on a more personal level, just like, as, like obviously the two of us are use social media quite a bit, being aware of the ways that these, uh, these, these companies like, you know, specifically work to like feed your kind of addiction to the the steady dopamine drip of engagement that you get uh is important of just like being being cognizant of that like i'm on i'm on twitch now um a couple days a week and i'm already i can feel my brain changing from the ways that they gamify that and gamify all the different ways to like keep people watching i think i had a dream the other night about like maintaining my my viewership numbers and i woke up in the morning and i was like this is not this is not healthy at all this is not healthy (laughs) this is not good uh yeah Yeah. i remember thinking a couple years ago a story came out that it was like wow instagram is revealed to be hold like withholding like notifications uh, when they happen to give you like uh, a, a a drop of them all at once, it'll be like, oh, 12 people liked your photo. Just so you get that rush of dopamine after like thinking <laughs> and worrying that no one was liking your photo. And like, it's, it's manipulative. And we're thinking that a couple years ago, yeah, <laughs> wow, so that's bad. bad. Now it's like, oh, people <laughs> are like shooting other people based off of what they yeah. see. Like, okay, okay. It's only getting worse. It's only going to continue getting worse. Wonderful. So check out Very Rob's nice. Twitch, twitch.tv slash Rob Rousseau. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I, I'm, I'm radicalizing people for the cause of good, though. That's my whole thing. Yeah. So it's okay. It's okay when it comes to me. <laughs> people know this. Um, okay, we've got Hassan Piker coming on the show. Friend of the show. It's his third appearance. It's the uh, rounding up the Hassan Piker trilogy mm-hmm. of uh, Insurgents episodes. <clears throat> uh, it was another good one. Uh, we talked a lot about... Um, you know everything that's in the news right now. Uh, we we hit at some of it in the intro there. The Georgia Senate races, uh, Biden's Biden's uh, cabinet appointments. We talked a bit about like Obama talking and uh, his statements about defunding the police that caused some controversy this week. Um, always a pleasure to speak to him, and it was we had a great conversation with Hassan. Yeah, I th- it went really great. Um, what you said. <laughs> I'm happy he joined us. It's a good guy. We didn't we didn't mention anything about his head size as well, which, which I was I, a little undersized. For I congratulate both of us, I think, for our restraint on that one because it was like a couple times I was really wanting to p- mention it, but held back. I mean, we could do it now. He's got it's a head very, very small. small. Yeah, not not very proportional to the rest of his body. It's quite undersized, actually. Yeah, it's <laughs> uh, that actually feels yeah, it feels better. nice to I was exhale keeping that in and so. Yeah, it's cathartic. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, but here's something that we didn't get to that um, I wanted to ask. I was, I'm interested to hear your thoughts about this because obviously there's a number of like very dangerous things that are going on right now uh, with, with Trump's kind of ongoing refusal to accept the election results. We're over a month after the election now. He's giving this big rally um, for, in Georgia uh, last night to talk about uh, the Senate candidates uh, and trying to, trying to like encourage people to vote there. But uh, so I think we've talked about this in the past, in the past couple of episodes, how kind of dangerous it is 
to uh, plant this idea in people's minds that this election was not legitimate. And we talked a little bit about this with with Hassan and, and about how you know how much of a dangerous effect that can have, like on American democracy. Um, and how we don't know how it's going to work. But one thing I'm kind of starting to wonder uh, is whether this is going to have any kind of like depressing turnout. <laughs> it, it has a depressing turnout, but whether it's going to have a like depressive turnout on like Republican voters, like specifically in this election or moving forward, because I do kind of get the sense that like you're seeing people on in Trump world like Bill Barr, who's like been one of his most stalwart, evil fucking defenders, been doing everything that he, he's been asked uh, as attorney general uh, since he replaced Jeff Sessions. And now you're seeing like people like in, in the media sphere, like um, Judge Janine or whatever the fuck her name is, like now talking about Bill Barr, like he's this like uh, radical leftist because he's like not going along with this uh, election theft uh, storyline to the extent that they want him to. And you're seeing people like voters in Georgia is kind of suggesting like, well, why would I vote in the Senate race? When this, as the president has outlined repeatedly, this process is like not legitimate and it's rigged. So like, why would I even bother going out there to vote? And do you think that any of this, as as dangerous as it is, that Trump is like going out there and convincing people of this, do you think there's any possibility that it might have some kind of like vote splitting effect on the right or, or to kind of start turning the right against each other? Do you think that's a possibility? Like, is that a possible like positive <laughs> outcome uh, out of all this? Oh, I don't know. I don't want to predict anything uh, specifically as like as like for the Georgia results. But yeah, the the conversations around sitting out um, because of this, you know, I you have to laugh because this is like their own problem that they created, uh, and it also kind of ties into the social media problem that we were just talking about. Like this is what you get. You get like chaotic behavior yeah. because it just fuels these types of like the more ludicrous behavior um, or the more ludicrous content and takes. So, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be like a huge, like seismic effect yet, but it's a sign of things to come. I think we'll see more of a fracturing of the right. You're going to have the hardliner Trump, like conspiracy fringe grow, uh, become even more radicalized further, maybe distance themselves from the Republican establishment. I mean, you saw that kind of tea party fracture, in 2008 like this is another moment that i think some right-wing political interests will fuel i think it's going to be part social media part people doubling down trump's going to fan those flames because it's going to benefit him and you're going to have like institutional support similar to how they broke the tea party off of the right i mean that led this as sad as it is it led to tea party caucus in the house and it led to republicans uh, taking back the house in what 2010 so yeah yes i do think it's gonna i do think it's gonna continue and i do think it'll have an impact but i think it'll be an impact of more crazies being elected to the house in 2022 more marjorie taylor greens well so you're going against a, a big prominent girl boss a historic uh congress people that's interesting wow <laughs> um <laughs> but um 
No, it, it is an interesting phenomenon, and yeah, I think that's kind of my feeling of it. Like it's it's kind of scary in a way. Like there's there's a right wing populist movement that's like growing in the United States that views like Fox News as being like moderate liberals. Yeah. Um, and on one hand, that's kind of terrifying. On the other hand, you could possibly point to a situation where like, well, maybe this is going to create some kind of rift in the right in the the conservative movement in America that could make it more difficult for like the powerful conservatives in, in Congress to kind of manage the, uh, the, the, the voting base that they've kind of cultivated carefully and, and deliberately fed misinformation to for generations. Uh, we're seeing the same thing in Canada, by the way, it's, it's kind of very interesting. We've got these like right wing premiers, um, which are basically like governors, like they can, they're the, the top political figures, like in the provinces. So we've got like Francois Legault in Quebec, um, Doug Ford in Ontario, Brian Pallister in Manitoba and Jason Kenney in Alberta. And these are all like right wing conservatives. Like they could not be like more pro small business, uh, you know, tax cuts and whatever. Like, meanwhile, a lot of these guys, especially in the early moments of the pandemic, were like playing footsie with the sort of like anti lockdown movement, um, you know, kind of able to suggest in order to score points on Justin Trudeau that like, oh, you know, we don't, we don't want to lock down like the kind of the liberals want us to, or, or pushing back on having a strong, forceful um, response to coronavirus. But now that we're seeing cases now spiking in all of these provinces who all tried to like reopen much, much too early. Now you have this bizarre situation where there's this like new right wing populist movement that are going and protesting their like super conservative uh, premieres. Uh, so it's the same kind of a, it's the same kind of a situation where it's like it's encouraging in one way. It's like it would be a good thing possibly for the like the right vote to get split amongst the more traditional conservatives and this new crop of like really really out there kind of far right crazies. Um, but yeah, the scary part of that is like, well, what what if the right wing crazies replace the crop of uh, so called moderate conservatives? That creates a whole new dangerous situation. So it's hard not it's kind of hard to know like which way it's going to go. Uh, and that was Canada Corner yeah. on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just think it's only going to get worse. Sorry, this was where my head's at. Yeah. And you can generally point to that with anything that we talk about on the show, the climate. Uh, you know, <laughs> the... Yep. <laughs> Income inequality, mm-hmm. re- refugee yep. crisis. Because there's always going to be kind of stuff. rat fucks who are willing to sell you out to further their political careers or their, their bottom line or, you know careers whatever yeah. just they're just fucking weasels who don't care don't care about you don't care about the greater good are greedy only care about themselves and those are the people that are just insane and narcissistic enough to run for office because it's a flattering position you get power you get control you get money you get fame you get attention freaks run for office mostly and those are the people that <laughs> control everything so we're fucked because people are insane uh well i'm feeling great yeah, now let's talk to the great to catch up as always <laughs> Let's bring on Hassan Piker. Uh, again, friend of the show. Always a pleasure to talk to Hassan. He's going to be, uh, he's going to, going to be joining the show right after this. Now we are joined by uh, none other than world famous Twitch personality Hassan Piker. Hassan, what's up, my friend? What's what's going on? What's going on, guys? Thank you for having me. 
this is, this is exciting. Yeah, of All course. Right. Uh, you know, it's great to talk to you. Great to meet you. We've heard a lot about you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wanted to I wanted to space my appearance out away from that uh, horrible monster Ken Klippenstein as best oh, as yeah, possible. Yeah. Fair. Very fair. He's terrible. All right, here he is requests. CIA. I mean, like I've suspected probably, that for a while. Yeah. I haven't I haven't gotten any confirmation, but that's kind of, you know, Look, I'm a 14-year-old tanky on the internet, and when my mom <laughs> doesn't give me chicken tendies, she is CIA. Ken Klippenstein, also CIA. Anyone that yep. displeases me is probably working with the feds. Yeah, Even if not knowingly, like at least like un- they're like an unwitting pawn of them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> he, he, yeah, exposing what they're doing, exposing things that they're trying to keep secret is is exactly what they want, actually. So yeah, and that that he has sources uh, just confirms my suspicion. Anyway, I'm really excited for Intro to Poli Sci next year when I go to college. <laughs> yeah, well, Intro to Poli Sci is CIA as well. Yeah, exactly. Actually, there's more legitimacy <laughs> li- to that one. That yeah, <laughs> we're getting into like real life shit here. Okay, now now that is that that yeah, that's that's legit. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's interesting, Hassan. Like this is the this is now the Hassan trilogy. This is the trilogy episode, and uh, you know we had you on once at the very beginning of the show when it looked like Bernie was going to possibly win the nomination. Um, again, a couple months ago uh, in the summer when the the sort of outcome of the election wasn't really certain yet, and now uh, now post election, we're ha- happy to have you back. Now that everything in America is going back to normal, mm-hmm. the bad orange yeah. man back. has been defeated. America's back. <laughs> So it was good to round out the good good moment to round out the the trilogy of Hassan Epps uh, on this show. Yeah, no, I'm I'm just personally really excited to get back to brunch. I, I think it's over. It's it's over. Everything good is going to happen going forward. Yeah, Everything yeah. bad has been defeated. You know, very excited. It, it, look, don't look at the millions of Americans who currently do not believe the election was uh, rightfully. And democratically given to Joe Biden. Don't think about that. Don't think about the fact that only 27 congressional Republicans admit that <laughs> Joe Biden is president-elect, and uh, out of like the 270 plus, uh, only only uh, 27 of them believe that. You know, d- don't look at any of that. That's that's not indicative of any like uh, complete <laughs> systemic failure of of uh, what we call American democracy. It's it well, certainly wait, wait. won't have any any future outcomes that are bad. Well, wait, hang on, though, because I've been told that being concerned about that in any way is like fear mongering and like was complete, like kind of like a, a sort of lib media PMC thing to do. You're saying that's is that not true? Because that's what that's what I've been told by very trustworthy sources on this. So I do think <laughs> that like the coup stuff is laughable. And as always, I think it's a it's it's definitely uh, an aggressive, uh, hyperbolic approach to what is otherwise a demonstrably incompetent uh, administration, but um, uh, but yeah, no, I I think that this has like really, I mean, this is just the logical extension in some ways of previous Republican messaging, Republican messaging around uh, voter suppression, voter ID laws, signature checks, all these sorts of any matter of different like uh, voter ID protocols they put in place revolves around uh, creating a, a false reality, uh, a false reality that undermines the integrity of American elections, which are otherwise fairly transparent. Like, we don't let other countries have uh, open, uh, fair, and free elections, uh, especially if they're, like, electing a democratic socialist. But our elections overall, and I'm not talking about the primaries, which are private institutions, 
but uh, like our our general election is is pretty good uh, in in transparency. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you guys will tell me. But Republicans have consistently uh, for years lied about that and have said that uh, our elections are not real and there's you know illegals voting when democrats uh, win anyways yeah, yeah no, well when <laughs> republicans still win they do it i mean donald trump literally put together a, uh, an election integrity committee if you guys recall after he fucking won and the reason why he put that together and now it seems like ancient news but the reason why he put that together was because he was a sore winner like he was upset that uh, hillary clinton had more votes than he did in the popular uh in the popular election and because how because of how upsetting that was to him personally he put together an election integrity committee of course the findings were consistent with you know the the countless uh, studies that have been conducted about uh, voter fraud it, it found nothing that it was insignificant, inconsequential, so marginal that it doesn't matter. It's laughable that you spend any money or time on it. So he quietly disbanded it, I think in 2018. But, but if they were going to be sore winners, like, of course they're going to be sore losers. And every single Republican has done this. So it's not that shocking that the, the entire National Republican Party is uh, otherwise definitely not too fond of Donald Trump and probably see him as a bit of a liability um, as a personal figure, not a liability electorally. They like him there. But um, the, the, the National Republican Party was, of course, going to not say anything uh, and, and, you know, abstain from uh, speaking out because they're a bunch of fucking fake friends and cowards. Honestly, Donald Trump has done everything for them and he and uh, he expects loyalty in return. And these He's guys are not loyal. By snakes. Yeah. Snakes everywhere. Yeah, my impression of like the whole legitimacy of the process is is more like the actual like the actual election seems pretty transparent and legitimate. What's not legitimate is like the electoral college and the senate, oh, yeah. which like disregard the feelings and the the views of of millions and millions of people. Uh, but in yeah. terms of the actual votes and the counting process, I mean that seems pretty reliable. Oh no, that's exactly what I was talking about. Sorry, of course the inequality is built into our process, like uh, it, from from. Even in areas where there's supposed to be a more even distribution, or not even, but like a, a more direct distribution, a proportional distribution, like Congress, we have gerrymandering. So like every part of the American uh, political structure relies on uh, making American voters uh, and their votes not count uh, evenly and equally. So so that's that's fundamental, and that's definitely a part of American politics. But I was just talking about the transparency and like vote counting and stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, tr Trump is just refusing to accept defeat. You could make the argument that it's, you know, it's an uh, it's ultimately a dastardly ploy. Uh, another way to look at it, it's like a, all a fundraising tactic. And ultimately, he's just going to like pivot to, you know, running like announcing he's running again in <laughs> on inauguration day and then just fundraising for four years. Um, but e despite that, so Biden won. The Democrats lost seats in the House. Fingers were pointed, but who's to blame? Um, no real change at the um, DSCC other than like Sherry Bustos is more like a figurehead is being replaced by Sean Maloney. Uh, but as far as like the operatives and the staffers who are still there, including like the heads of these entities, they're all relatively the same. So what do you think that spells going into 2022? I mean, we're going into possibly a yeah. gridlocked Congress. 
with no real changes at the operational level. Uh, does this does this give you faith, Hassan? No, <laughs> absolutely not. Just lobbing but also, I'm there. I'm pretty black pilled, so it's like nothing really gives me uh, nothing really gives me hope. So I guess there's that. Like I, I've been broken since uh, the the. Like I, I I hit my high after Nevada, and ever since then I've just like ever since Super Tuesday and and South Carolina and its reception in the media, I've been broken fundamentally. So it doesn't <laughs> nothing really phases me in that way in that regard. No. Yeah, Nevada was probably the high point of, of maybe my life, but definitely the year. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and good. by the way, overall, like I mean, I, I'm joking about being black but like that's still incredibly significant as like uh. As far as like making advancements for leftist causes, leftist organizing, and we have some uh, brilliant freshman congressional uh, uh, Democrats right now. Uh, so it's great. Like it's growing. The movement is growing. Uh, so, you know, it's not it's not all that bad, but uh, it could have been a hell of a lot better situation. Yeah, you've been uh, interacting with the squad on Twitch. Yeah, so you're, getting, you're getting them. You're turning them into gamers. Yeah, I just want to destroy. I'm actually, uh, I'm actually a, a CIA operative. I, I've, I've been, <laughs> oh, yeah. I've been sent to subvert and destroy. This is uh, like COINTELPRO 2.0, where you know <laughs> I, I'm nice. destroying congressional Democrats, like the the squad, by turning them into gamers, so they can have a heated gaming moment, uh, and then you know inevitably they get like I don't know owned or something. Cool. That's a pretty good plan. I'll make sure to delete this from the final episode so we don't, you know, don't spoil yeah, yeah. that for everybody. It's pretty but, cool. I'm excited to hear how it turns out. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Uh, You've also been interacting so, with some Canadians. I have. Well, man. that's not quite as exciting, but <laughs> no, it's really not. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I find it exciting. I so um, I I really like I really like Jugmeat. I think he's he's very cool. Uh, and uh, I I've I've been a fan of his for some time now. I like his brother as well. And uh, there was an opportunity that presented itself to play Among Us with him uh, because Northern Lion, just like as a meme, who is a, a streamer, he, I believe he's Canadian, <clears throat> as a meme, he, he added uh, Jugmeat Singh to be like, yo, do you want to play Among Us? And then, you know, I got looped into it and I, uh, I, I put together a, a lobby and AOC literally hit me up and was like, can I join you guys? So, um, so it was pretty cool. You know, organically, it it uh, happened again. I'm also working right now to put together something with uh, with uh, Jamal Bowman and Corey Bush. So cool. Oh, let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Would it disappoint you to know that that Jugmeat has not been taking his newfound uh, moment of stardom and doing all that much with it, though? Unfortunately. Um. No. It does not. <laughs> what? What? Is, I don't even know. I don't. I haven't been like uh, following yeah, yeah. the the intricacies of Canadian politics, if we're being honest. But well, that's upsetting to me. But sure. <laughs> I mean, I take the time to learn about America. I would expect that my friends yeah, and colleagues no. would treat me no, the same. But it's no, not it's even fine. a real country. That that is true. <laughs> that is true. No, it's like I I like Jugmeat as well. Uh, I thought it was really cool that you did that, and I, I'm I'm happy that he was able to get exposed to like a, a wider audience of Americans. Um, I heard he, he does have a lot of good qualities. He just he gave a really shitty speech the other day oh. talking about um yeah, so he talking about like the urgency for a vaccine and he like held up someone as an example that like there's this one constituent um you know she had she was working three jobs to try and provide for her kids 
and now she's not able to. And that's why we need this vaccine so she can get back to her three jobs in order to feed her kids. Oh, and we were all just like, Jack, me, why? but maybe she shouldn't be working the three jobs in the first place. Like, that's kind of what I, and it's like, you know, I was pretty disappointed. Yeah. People were not really that thrilled with that. It's not a great example for sure. I mean, (laughs) there is a legitimacy to why uh, we definitely need the vaccines. And obviously the reason why we need the vaccines is so that it is because there is no government recovery coming. Like to to bring it back to politics that matters, Rob, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, But it it does, it does truly feel like uh, we are just not getting any recovery at all. Uh, uh, We we're over here begging for crumbs and, and, those in positions of power are like, oh, you'd like crumbs? Well, guess what? You're not even getting that shit. Well, that's not true. You've got a president that believes in science now. And I believe if you're showed on rent, you can just say that to your landlord and they'll be like, oh, okay, well, no problem then. We'll yeah. revisit this in a couple well, months then. <laughs> well, he, he's also Easy. he's also uh, saying like that he will hear us. So yeah, here's you. You know, if you're, you, if you're like, short on rent, you could, tell, you could tell your landlord, like, I hear you. I see you. But I'm not going to pay you the rent. <laughs> well, he, he caused a bit of a stir yesterday when he posted the, uh, they posted a video where, with him saying, like, look, uh, we, we know people aren't looking for a handout. They just need help. They're in trouble. They're no fault of their own. They just need us to understand. It's like, no, people are very much looking for a handout. Like, they need, they need direct payments. Like, call it whatever you want, but that's what they need. They don't need you to understand them. They need action. And it's yeah. just... It, this goes to what we were saying before we started recording, but just now we're in a moment where because Biden got elected, Democrats are like, you know, loosening up the reins a little bit. And we saw Pelosi this week say she was more comfortable with a smaller stimulus bill because Biden is coming in and Biden believes in science as if that has some causal impact on what people might owe or the economic burden they might be under right now. Like this is, you know, no co- no talk about a monthly reoccurring payment. No real talk anyway. It just does just the squad putting it forward. And yeah. possibly accepting a smaller stimulus bill and maybe even including corporate like you know liability waivers like just excluding companies who put workers in unsafe situations from any liability that is horrifying i mean obviously that was pelosi's justification for not voting for the larger stimulus package or not supporting it previously right before the election yeah and now it's like now we still have that but without all the other stuff as well so do you guys want to know what the what the what the details are too because it it makes it even more disgusting when you think about exactly what they're saying so their their counter argument is that this bipartisan bill only has five months of liability protection for corporations Rather than the Republican proposal, which has like a much longer, if not uh, extendable, completely extendable liability protection. So it's it's basically just, again, uh, neoliberal compromise politics. Uh, who is this bipartisanship for? Nobody knows. Uh, I defended Nancy Pelosi a little bit. Uh, I made the mistake of defending Nancy Pelosi by saying e- everyone is yelling at her. But like the true villain here is Mitch McConnell. And he was and it was Mitch McConnell. That was the true villain. Uh, the reality is that uh, Republicans are never going to concede. They're never going to actually come to terms with an agreement, no matter how small or big it is, because they already got uh, they already got their uh, their one bill out that helps corporations in the first stimulus package, and and now uh, it, it's political capital for them. Like they don't want to expend political capital for them working with the Democratic Party 
is literally political capital that they're that they are not at liberty to spend that's how fucked up this american political system is where like republicans are like we can't even help our fucking constituents because that would imply that we cut a deal with nancy pelosi and then that means that you know we can have some some psychotic jet ski dealership owner uh come and fucking primary us uh (laughs) with with donald trump you know what i mean so that's that's the position that they're in now the problem with Nancy Pelosi's sentiment now, or, or at least her opinion that has changed now, is that, well, Joe Biden is the president. Well, okay, but we don't have the Senate. So there is still that same exact uncertainty that you had before the election uh, about trying to get as big as a, as big and as comprehensive of a, a, a stimulus package in as possible. Because originally she said, we didn't, you know, uh, we're trying to get as much as we can out of the Republicans because we know that it's not going to come back around again. Just like, you know, look at how difficult it is to negotiate with the Republicans now after the first stimulus. We don't want to make that mistake again. We want to get as much uh, as possible. That's why, you know, we'll we'll concede. It won't be like 3.4 trillion, but it'll be at least 2 trillion, 2.2 trillion. Um, okay, but that same uncertainty still exists if there is another election that's happening, uh, January 5th. And uh, the the Senate runoff is going to determine whether or not you have to still deal with uh, the obstructionist uh, Republican Senate or not. So why wouldn't you still go for a larger uh, package is is, uh, something that I do not understand, especially if Mitch McConnell is not willing to concede regardless. And uh, it's just you look like a fucking clown when you do this is what I'm saying. Like you you make yourself look like an asshole. And, and Nancy Pelosi is an asshole, so it makes sense. It seems to me, and this is, you know, just from afar, that there are inroads to be made if they were to, in, you know, mostly unison, the Democrats, speak to how this is corporate America's effort to make workers less safe, to put them in harm's way for profit, uh, to capitalize on this moment. As they're like laying off people, as they're shifting the workforce permanently in ways that are mostly unseen now, but will really wreak havoc in the coming years, like switches to automation, eliminations of processes, all of these different types of things that are going to transform the workforce for years to come that will result in mass job loss. These jobs aren't going to be replaced. People are finding ways around them, whether it's switching to all remote work, different types of things like that. But this could be a moment where the Democrats can come out and say, Look, companies are not your friends. Your bosses are not your friends. These corporations do not care about you. That is our opposition right now. It is Republicans working in tandem with corporate interests to put you in harm's way so they can profit more. They don't want you to sue them when they willingly put you in harm's way. Look at Tyson, the Tyson chicken plant, betting on how many workers were going to get sick. And people are dying because of these types of corporate decisions. That's what they can come out and say in whip support in their favor, in opposition to this this type of inclusion. But they won't do it. They refuse to talk about these types of things, or working people's interests, or attack corporate interests and the influence it has over politics and over our society, because at the end of the day, they want those donations. They want those affiliations, and they want those connections. And this is just, it's so unbelievably frustrating when you think about the history of the Democratic Party, especially at the turn of the 20th century, and how it used to be a workers' party, and how they crushed, they ended up crushing populist uprising in like Kansas 
because people were like, even people out there were like, you know, you know what? No, this isn't these these politicians, these companies don't don't care about us. They will sell us out to dry. So they squashed them and turned it into a corporate elite party. They said, look, at least these podunk rednecks out in the middle of Kansas don't know what they're talking about. And th- this is a perfect example of like the final culmination, this this decades long effort to quash like worker involvement and, and and progressive involvement in the Democratic Party. This is the moment we're in. It's okay. Do we want five months of of, of corporate liability protection or or ten months? Pick your poison. <laughs> yeah. Um. They don't even like. Honestly, you're right. They of course need to uh win over uh corporate donors and and can't come across uh can't come across as like in opposition as these corporations because corporations are good for them, right? But at least they could operate like the fucking Republicans do a little bit, not on policy, which is something that Democrats are very willing and able to do, but on the way that they run campaigns and politics and messaging. Mm-hmm. Republicans message year-round about the, the psychotic uh, worldview that they have in an effort to uh, you know, galvanize, in an effort to embolden their base, in an effort to polarize further. They run on that polarization, right? Democrats, on the other hand, are constantly talking about unity. So what they should be doing and what I was always critical of Nancy Pelosi, at least on this front, is not use the gift that Mitch McConnell was giving you to make an argument as to why you should never allow a Republican to win a Senate seat ever again. Like stress the importance of Senate, stress the importance of Senate seats, stress the importance of congressional House seats as well, and, and how you guys were doing a great job in the House by uh, putting together comprehensive stimulus packages that the Republicans were willing to, uh, to even look at because of their disdain for the American working class. Everyone is suffering. We understand that you're suffering. What we must do here and now is, is offer you relief. That is a necessity. Trump understands it. It's the fucking congressional Republicans that refuse to come on board with it. This should have been the message that Nancy Pelosi ran on or Nancy Pelosi fucking screamed about from the rooftops over and over again. And yet they didn't do that. They kept quiet for months. Uh, they kept quiet for months. Like the fact that uh, Republicans were able to push through Amy Coney Barrett rather than another stimulus package. Like that's insane to me. That, that's so disgusting that they didn't at least even use the Democrats at least didn't even use that as an opportunity to message around it, to make yeah. an argument for why you have to vote for them right in fact they kind of came together and said like actually she's not that bad this whole process was Shit. all right actually never mind <laughs> that was kind of their messaging around that yeah that was, was really that was really crazy choice yeah they did a good job with like talking about uh, the ACA and how that will be undermined and and really beefed up that side but then they turned around and, and fucking Diane Feinstein in all her, you know, endless experience, uh, the, the, you know, 900 year old dragon uh, was like, oh, yeah, this was a very pleasant experience. Like, thank you for making this incredibly illegitimate political theater such a uh, such a pleasant experience. Probably the best, probably the best one I've had. And and that's really that's really conflicting messaging because Republicans never do that. They don't fucking, they, they never, they wouldn't be caught dead uh, saying some shit like that. They just would not. 
Um, mm-hmm. So it, it is deeply frustrating that Democrats still maintain this illusion that there is like bipartisan compromise and unity that is uh, something that we can arrive at when Republicans literally ra- run against it. Like Republicans run against that idea. They do everything they can to uh, create party loyalty around wedge issues and, and solidify their base. And even when they're talking about unity, they say, they don't say we need to, you know, reach across the aisle and talk to Democrats. They say Democrats are the real dividers. Like even their unity message <laughs> is not unifying. And it's all deliberate. And Democrats are fucking clown asses who literally do not do this for some fucking weird reason. They don't do it when they're not in power. They don't do it when they're in power. It doesn't make any sense to me. It is deeply frustrating. And I hate it. Uh, I hate it so much. And that was a big, that was a big problem, I think, uh, that, uh, Na- that, that caused Nancy Pelosi to lose seats in the House and that caused Democrats to lose seats in the Senate, too. I mean, these were going to be really difficult races like, like Georgia or, or uh, the, the race in South Carolina. Like, these were very difficult races, right? They, they weren't, I mean, the media made it seem like it was going to be, the Democrats were going to pull it off because they're delusional. They were always going to be really difficult. Um, but there was still an opportunity. But that opportunity is something you have to work at. And Democrats refuse to do that. They refuse to run on, on issues. I mean, what, what more evidence do you need that uh, progressive policy proposals are successful when ballot measures like marijuana legalization... Something that Joe Biden is not was not running on for some fucking weird reason. Um, marijuana mind. legalization passed in states and red deep red states that uh, that a state where Joe Biden lost to Donald Trump the, the presidency, Florida, where the fifteen dollar minimum wage as a ballot measure was more popular than either fucking candidate. That's that's you're yep. you're losing if yeah. your policy is fifteen dollar minimum wage as Joe Biden claims it is. Then how the fuck is that policy passing? But Joe Biden is losing in that state. Yeah. And on this on this subject, like when you talk about these Georgia Senate races, now you have this weird like mixed messaging where they're like, well, we, you know, we have to win these two Senate seats. That's the only way we can pass anything. And then you have John Ossoff running for one of the seats being like, I will not support any of these popular policies if elected. Uh, no, I don't support Medicare for all or defunding the police or the Green New Deal or any of that stuff. Um, well, defund the police is, is just sloganeering i like it's not everyone will immediately be like it's not popular it's not popular it's like well yeah it's activism like it's not supposed to be popular the civil rights movement wasn't fucking popular like um you don't have to say we we're going to defund the police what you have to say is like policing as an institution is fundamentally broken in this country where we have eight hundred thousand republicans they are all republicans all cops are republicans run on that run on partisan loyalty because partisan loyalty is what fucking matters more than anything else on the ground. I'm sorry. Like, what is it? Like 15% of, uh, of, of American voters have like an ideology and uh, the overwhelming majority of American voters just are, have party loyalty. And you build that party loyalty by talking about policies that you are advocating for, that you are on board with, that you believe in, and communicating how those policies are going to help people. Republicans do this all the fucking time. They don't, they don't think about whether like make America great again is going to have like underlying implications of racism. They want that to happen. They they just build uh, MAGA around uh, and legislate around MAGA, the MAGA mentality. 
rather than the other way around. Even though there is a difference there, because a lot of the Republican movements are astroturfed. So, of course, their activism on the ground is, is usually very manicured. So their messaging is always uh, intact. But what matters more than the slogan itself is the actions and the messaging that, and the narrative that you build around that slogan. Black Lives Matter wasn't popular in 2014. Black Lives Matter was not popular until 2016 when Donald Trump stood in opposition of it. Black Lives Matter wasn't popular for liberals. By the way, like, don't let them fucking retcon this shit, you know? Well, like, it goes back to what Obama was saying this week about defund the police and was being criticized for it, which was saying just like, oh, yeah, when you say things like that, you just turn off so many people. Um, And what's kind of missing from that is any notion of like doing political education or talking about why defunding the police would be a good thing or why it's a good policy. Um, you know, it's very easy to point to like, look at your local city budget and look at the chunk that the police uh, take up and look at what's not there for like healthcare and housing and all these very important things. Like there people like Obama who are great political com- communicators could go out there and talk about why the police are out of control and why we, they do need to be defunded in order to like change priorities uh, to things that are more productive uh, but the fact is he just doesn't believe in it and he doesn't want to do that um so he just kind of empty he's kind of this being this kind of like empty rhetoric where he's like oh no we can't possibly say that because people don't like it and just abdicates any responsibility for like explaining to people why a policy would be good or why you should support it you know if one side is constantly defining the narrative around a particular slogan like the republicans always do very craftily and handily and the other side, at least on mainstream media, is not using their, their institutional power, is not using their institutional uh, legitimacy to reframe the conversation around inflated police budgets or lack of police accountability. You know, issues that actually do matter to the people, issues that actually are uh, successful at the local level. Um, then all you're doing is caving to the Republicans and allowing them to define the conversation and trying to also work as a stopgap measure against uh, an otherwise popular activist movement. You can't say defund the police is not popular when it, it stemmed out of Black Lives Matter, which had uh, at, at its peak had like 67% popularity or something, which was fucking insane. And, and also defund the police was successful. It's popular in areas, in localities where it originated, like Minneapolis, in the, uh, the constituencies that are harmed by the cops. It's not a fucking white activist movement in the way that like some uh, subversive leftists uh, who, who portray themselves as the working class whispers uh, try to make it out to be. No, young black people want to defund the police. Black people also have a a, uh, a a a negative outlook on policing if not the police themselves but definitely on the way that they view the cops in their neighborhoods that's the heart of this matter and also defund the police otherwise has been very successful in at least taking away one billion dollars like shaving away one billion dollars in new york uh and and another i think it was another billion in, in california as well and in chicago numerous parts around the country uh Defund the police has started taking away funds from police, uh, from the police, and and uh, reallocate those funds into social workers and and things like that. So it's it's wrong on both fronts. It, it it's it's not like off-putting. It's what you make it. Slogans are what you make it. 
and it's also uh, successful in the areas where there are uh, a lot of black people. So I'm sorry, but uh, you can't keep going back to like that 2015 uh, study that everyone fucking cites to say, oh, well, black people actually love the police. They want to hug and kiss the police. They want to fuck the police. Like, is this fucking bullshit? Like, get out of here. Like, <laughs> yeah, like at, at its at the, the if the most reliable information that you have on black people's opinion of police is even in that circumstance, like it's a 50 50 split between people being terrified of the police and people saying, no, we, we want more policing in these neighborhoods, then I, I don't think that's a winning argument. Uh, as, and it's not one that like leftists should be even engaging with seriously. The reality is policing is a fundamentally broken institution in America. Like, and, and it desperately needs reform. It desperately needs radical changes. It is still, some form of policing is always going to be a necessity. I'm not I'm not like a full police abolitionist or anything like that. I know that there are a lot of anarchists out there that are who have uh, really great and honest and, and awesome intentions and they're at the forefront of activism and organizing and even they themselves recognize that like it's not going to happen overnight and even they themselves recognize that some sort of some form of like you know community policing is always going to be a necessity, right? Um, so we all just want policing to work. Everyone wants policing to work. Everyone likes law and order. It's not like black people aren't inherently lawless or disordered. Uh, they, they want law and order, but uh, at least in impoverished communities for black people, it, the presence of police usually implies lawlessness and disorder for them. And that's the problem. Yeah, it's that broken window style of policing that, yeah. that leads to like just terrible outcome. Get the police to treat Black communities, like they do white communities, get the police to treat uh, poor communities as they do rich communities. Right. And a lot less people will be fucking upset about it. And also demilitarize them at the, while you're at it. Yeah. Crazy. And you were saying earlier, like there's these, po these polls and, you know, certain writers and, and you know, pundits uh, point to, you know, cherry picked data points or anecdotes from people that they talk to on the street it's like well i just talked to this guy who lives in baltimore and he loves the cops and it's like everyone loves the cops here and it's like well you know the framing what was the like what was the question what was the methodology for for the study what was the methodology and you like you i cannot imagine if you were to ask let me let me rephrase that if you were to ask most people or, or you know a, 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 a robust sample size in a community like baltimore have the police you know been uh aggressive or abusive or, or or mean or racist or violent toward you or someone you know a vast majority would say yeah i mean they because, do there are studies yeah. on it yeah the and majority it's of like, black people the majority of black people uh, according to the latest yougov study at least like say that i think it was like 69 percent or something of black people say that uh they have had a negative experience with police or that uh they believe that uh, the police has caused harm to them uh, at some point so, so there's definitely yeah. evidence for it like it's not just fucking made up but there's also the counter to that where the response times in uh poorer neighborhoods for police is uh, far far longer i think on average it's like 11 minutes or something in comparison to white or wealthier neighborhoods where the police response time is two minutes right so that's a that's definitely a problem but that problem yeah. could actually be solved 
by reallocating funds and reallocating responsibilities away from cops uh, when they're, whenever they're dealing with like loitering or, or homelessness or you know so, a wellness check like these are these are issues that cops should not be dealing with right mm-hmm. so that they can have more time to fucking respond to violent crime and do a better job uh, with that and respond to crime even in black neighborhoods as well uh, in, a, in a similar uh, expediency that they do in white neighborhoods yeah absolutely and um the trend uh of abuse of civil asset forfeiture where they'll take whatever money or possessions you have on you uh during an arrest and keep it um you know especially money is is a huge burden on communities where broken window style policing still exists and this is especially in black communities civil assets forfeiture this year is higher What's that? It, it's civil assets forfeiture this year is higher than burglaries, and yeah. I think that's consistent yeah. too. No, that that yeah. trend has always been consistent too. Like it's higher than burglaries uh, make up a really really small part of uh, overall. I mean, unless you're talking about like grand larceny and stuff, but they make up a really small part of like asset seizure uh, overall. Mm-hmm. Like wage theft is much bigger than that, obviously, but the half of that is legalized, uh, and and civil assets forfeiture, which is another legalized form of theft, uh, is is also far greater crazy yeah absolutely and it's like i another another kind of surreptitious way the police wreaks havoc on on those communities well in a less sensational way like you're not going to see this kind of stuff on video like you would uh you know police assaulting somebody or shooting somebody like this is just but another another way it, it holds people down and suppresses communities of color it's absolutely repugnant but yeah, it was on that front. It just, but anecdotes from certain writers going in and be like, do you feel safe with a cop around or would you rather have no cops or something like that? Just to kind of fit a, a square, like, you know, a, a square peg into a round hole to justify their argument. It's, it doesn't negate any of that. And, and what's one thing we need to understand these types of anecdotes that people are cherry picking to, to further their narrative um, just aren't, aren't very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And and last week we covered we covered some of the viral footage that came out of El Sereno of these CHP cops violently evicting families like the night before Thanksgiving. And there's a very like simple argument to be made there where it's just like, um, you know, it costs more. It literally costs more to hire these cops at triple overtime on a holiday to evict teenagers um, in the middle of a pandemic than it would to just like give housing to these families. Uh, that to me and is what defund the police should be about. And if someone like Barack Obama came on TV and made that case, people would understand it and you would see the poll numbers rise. Um, but there because they don't believe in it, they have to just be held hostage to this idea that oh, it's not popular, so we can never say it. Uh, and that's why we can never talk about these things. But ultimately, it's a matter of like, uh, you don't talk about it because you don't believe in it. You don't believe in making that case. If you did, the poll numbers would, wouldn't stay the same. Yeah, the, the hilarity there. I, it's, like, it's like Jim Clyburn saying Medicare for all is not popular all around the country. It's like, no, it's not popular to you because you fucking made a million dollars from, these, the, from people <laughs> lobbying for you to say that. Like, your district... The the uh, median salary to district is or annual income is like thirty thousand dollars, dude. Like I'm pretty sure that your 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 black and and white and poor constituents overall would truly profoundly benefit from an expansion of of 
Medicare coverage. So I find it so silly that uh, he would uh, that he would take such a strong stance against it, while simultaneously even talking about fucking uh, the the policing issue is like defund the police is a bad slogan. Um, meanwhile, uh, like uh, you know, uh, ending that conversation with a qualifier that like even if it's a good slogan in my district, I shut the fuck up about it because it's not a good slogan nationally. It's like, dude, come on. <laughs> I mean, yeah. come on. And then people get mad at me when I fucking criticize like uh, congressional black Repo uh, congressional black Republicans, <laughs> the, the congressional black caucus Freudian uh, slip. and, and, and the, uh, yeah, that was a Freudian slip. And, <laughs> and like how, how conservative some of these figureheads are who have been profoundly important in the civil rights movement. And yet still are, are super concession prone and, and, uh, are basically the most, uh, loyal workers of the establishment. Uh, people get upset at me because they're like, you don't understand. They have been, uh, they, they, they've had to be, they, they have been forced to concede. And it's like, no, I, I think we should expect more from our uh, representatives. I think, I think that's, that's silly. It's silly to be like, oh yeah, we, he has to concede. He has to work with all these people because, uh, you know, America is very racist. He's like, learned that. Yeah, sure. But we got to change it as best as we can. And that starts at the messaging front. That starts by welcoming the activists and listening to what they have to say and trying to compromise with them rather than expecting what the Republican messaging, the counter messaging is going to be like and, and conceding to the Republicans before a conversation even fucking starts and then simultaneously attacking the activists that are on your side or supposed to be on your side functionally. Yeah, blaming them for the fact that they lost uh, house seats. Yeah. Well, and also to me, okay, so one really good example of this is the fracking thing from a few months ago as well, where like fracking was quite unpopular nationally and in Pennsylvania, but because Biden got it in his head that you needed to support fracking uh, in order to win the state and because Republicans were saying Joe Biden wants to ban fracking. So then they had this whole flip flop where he said, no, 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 I never, I will never ban fracking. I never want to do that. And they made sure to like illustrate that to people. And lo and behold, the poll numbers on fracking amongst rank and file Democrats went up. Uh, so when they say things like, well, we can't support Medicare for all because it's not popular. We can't support uh, X and Y policy because it's not popular. If they just did support it and went on TV to talk about why it's good and you had your like media arm on MSNBC talking about, why, talking about Medicare for all and saying it's a good positive thing, it would be popular. The reason they don't do that is because their their economic interests and the fact that they rely on like donations from insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies means that they don't support it. Uh, so in this whole idea that like, oh, we can't support it because it's not popular is just bullshit. Because if they did just like if like, for example, if Bernie Sanders had won the nomination and if the Democratic Party by some fucking miracle had been like, OK, well, I guess we're getting on board with this. And you had people like Barack Obama going on TV and saying, yeah, we do support Medicare for all now. And you had their sort of like people and pundits on MSNBC backing them up. It would be popular. They don't do it because they don't support it. The irony is they do that all the time. On, on issues that are not popular, but issues that yes. appeal to their material uh, interests, uh, the interest of their, their corporate benefactors. Like, like, earned income tax credits aren't uh, ever going to be popular, no matter how much you fucking massage that shit, okay? Universal programs are, though. Medicare for all is. Like, these are, these are popular policies, uh, and yet people still hyper-focus on, like, you know... Uh, the, the chances that a particular individual may or may not have in an election, in a hypothetical election, 
and and that's just that messaging is totally crafted and controlled by the media so they end up voting for a person like joe biden while simultaneously holding the belief that they want medicare for all right yeah so it's it's deeply disturbing that uh, they'll get on board with they'll get on board with policies that aren't exactly popular just like they'll get on board with policies that uh ironically will uh ironically will cost us more like the public option which i'm obviously forced to support now because it is still an expansion on the pre-existing healthcare structure that we currently have which is awful and not good enough and it will take us one step closer towards socialized medicine so now I'm on board with the public option. Don't think the Democrats are going to actually do anything about it. Don't think the Democrats are going to push it. But the public option, ironically, is more expensive than Medicare for all. Because it would be adding to the pre-existing uh, privatized market uh, healthcare a, a government competitor that is paid for by taxes. Whereas Medicare for all is literally the cheapest proposal. Either you have taking uh, Obamacare and continuing with it. Uh, which is the second most expensive option. Or you have the public option, which will add on top of that uh, an additional hurdle, right? Which will make it more expensive overall. Or you have Medicare for All, which is the least expensive choice out of all three. And yet, if you ask everyone in the media, it's Medicare for All that's the expensive and inflated and, and costly uh, proposal. It's so dumb. This is yeah. off of the Mercata study, uh, by the way. The, the libertarian... Uh, Koch brothers think tank that wanted to show how costly Medicare for all was and then ended up owning themselves by showing how uh, it would actually cost Americans overall less yeah. than the current uh, privatized Obamacare healthcare structure. But like you're pointing out too, even though that study did show that, that didn't stop people from the media, not conservative media, but like liberals in the media from going on and literally like explaining the wrong conclusions from this study and basically still presenting it as fact that it is more expensive. And uh, and then expecting people, expecting Bernie to like defend this position of like, why do you support this expensive policy, even though the study that we're using to justify that literally shows it is less expensive. Very yeah. bizarre. Very bizarre. Well, yeah, it's bizarre only if you just don't factor in the material interests of the pharmaceutical industry. Like, that's when it's bizarre. But as soon as you recognize that, I mean, those are the same people that the Democrats are getting paid by, or the Democrats are fearful of, like, um, special interest groups coming in and, and pumping ads against them, then it's not so bizarre. You know. Um, and that kind of, I think, brings us to a topic that we really wanted to uh, get your thoughts on. Um, so figureheads in the Democratic Party and in the, in the establishment have not been friendly to the idea of Medicare for all, pointing to its cost, pointing to how difficult it would be to implement, and also pointing to uh, more of a corporate uh, and moderate and conservative talking point, the the lack of consumer choice that we would have if we implemented this. And one <laughs> of the critics, uh, I think one of its staunchest critics over the past few years has been Neera Tanden, who has just been picked by Joe Biden to be the director of the Office of Management and Budget. And this has caused a uh, quite, a, quite a stir as she has been less than friendly to the progressive left over the past few years, but now is uh, being framed by the Biden campaign and his supporters as the progressive pick for this yeah. position. 
They're like um, throwing a bow into the progressive wing yeah, with this. Uh, we with picked this one. your leader is what, yeah. what Owen Higgins uh, <laughs> was told by uh, one organization's head that the Biden campaign told them. So, uh, Hassan, what's your, what's your take on on the Tandon pick? She's a she's a we've got poster representation uh, in the federal government yeah. now. I'm so excited. Now, the irony is that uh, I think she's the sacrificial lamb that is, is a double whammy for the establishment Democrats because, one, they're super out of touch, uh, and, and they get to say, this is, our this is the progressive person that you wanted, but she's just not as well-liked, and she's not, going to get, she's not going to get voted in, obviously, but also because she's a progressive, even though she fucking isn't, right? And, two... When she inevitably uh, will not be confirmed, uh, a much worse person will likely be confirmed, right? So I think that that's that's a it's a it's a double the double whammy there. On the one hand, you get to show that like progressives are disliked, uh, and on the other, uh, you put in a, a worse person into that position, a more um, you know uh, austerity driven fiscal conservative into that position there even though Neera Tannen herself is literally also a a very uh, austerity focused uh, I guess progressive at the Center for American Progress um, yeah. you know, look no further yeah. than her advocacy for the grand bargain and, and cutting entitlements uh, uh, numerous times like her advocacy for all that and this is before we get to the uh, you know foreign affairs this is before we get to how she feels about like what we should do with Libya, for example. Um, but uh, that's what I think. I think that it's a it's a win win for establishment Democrats. They're out of touch. They don't give a shit. They might genuinely think she's progressive, but she's never going to get pushed through. And not because of Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders is going to fucking vote her in, of course. But she's never going to get through because of the Republicans. Because Republicans hate when Democrats act the same way that Republicans do. They hate it. When you have someone who is a meanie bobini on the timeline to them in the same way that they are all the fucking time. And Neera Tandon is a diligent poster, posts more than fucking Donald Trump himself. And, um, you know, on her on her binges, she has posted numerous things about Republicans that I agree with, that they are demons and that they do suck. So that's ironically what's going to get. Uh, that's ironically what is making her an unlikable or un, un, uh, a, a candidate is not going to an appointment that's not going to get confirmed. Yeah. Are you guys blocked by Nira? Yes. No. Okay. You're not Hassan. I don't wow. think so. Let me check right now. I've been blocked for a couple of years. Yeah, I same. might be. I might. No, I'm not. I'm not. Ooh, damn. Which is interesting. Wow. I, I mean, I did tweet recently about how she sucks ass. Um, well, that surprise. is true. You're speaking truth to power there. Yeah. Um, but no, that is the thinking that if she goes down, it's a more moderate person. And for them to pick her, then like knowing she's like been up at like four in the morning fighting with people on Twitter uh, <laughs> and has a reputation for being, you know, a prolific poster, very combatant, not someone who would, you know, kind of effortlessly glide through a nomination process. This is one that they can, you know, Republicans can, you know, draw the line at, maybe even refuse to have a Senate hearing or a, a committee hearing for her, maybe not even like just go through the process. Um, and then they're like, oh, okay, I guess that shows like we have to do a moderate because they control the Senate or it's a 50-50 split. Okay, that's the world we're living in. I mean, they're going to use that excuse to, uh, you know, 
push through more moderate Wall Street friendly nominees. Oh, we have to the Senate, you know, they, they control the Senate. But using her as the example, using someone they know Republicans absolutely hate, you know, unlike somebody like a, a Yellen who they're, you know, mostly fine with. Well, there's a way also like similar to what you're saying that that these appointments are somewhat theater. Like there's the whole there's the whole drama with uh, Rahm Emanuel, who's being floated for like a cabinet pick. And people are rightfully uh, freaking out about that because everyone fucking hates Rahm Emanuel. Um, you know, the fact that he covered up a murder literally as mayor of Chicago, um, his big, I think, I think he was being floated as like transport minister and, um, his big like transport thing as mayor of Chicago was cutting a deal with Elon Musk to create this like fake boring tunnel thing to the airport when there's already like a public transit system that provides service to the airport that you could just give more money to. Um, so for a number of reasons that like, people are, are really angry about that. And um, that's what I kind of feel, though, that like they may end up tossing him overboard. Uh, and that's going to be kind of spun as like a win for the progressives that don't like him. But whoever replaces Ma- Emmanuel in the cabinet is still going to be advancing pretty much the same kind of a project. It's going to be like this ideologically similar pro Wall Street, pro corporate. Um, and the fact, you know, they'll say like, oh, there was a big win for the progressives when they, they got Emmanuel out of this uh, position. But ultimately, it's not really going to have much of an impact over the actual political direction of the Biden administration. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, Joe Biden, as the the uh, Democratic savior, like that that is a deliberate choice. I, I think that the establishment yeah. Democrats coming uh, on board with uh, Biden as the as their candidate was a uh, was deliberate. I think they just wanted to say like, no, fuck off. There is no progress. So expecting anything different from them after they very openly said that to us is silly. No, they are, yeah. they do not care. They do not care how far this goes. They do not care if they keep losing over and over again. I think that as long as they maintain their, uh, their, their ideological point of view, as long as they uh, continue to, uh, as long as they find a way to continue advocating for, you know, third way centrism, neoliberalism with like minor improvements, I guess, minor adjustments then that's that's all that they want to that's all that they want um that's their that's their big goal overall it's not to like actually help people uh, awesome well hassan it's been great to have you on the show again thanks for coming on thanks for talking well, to us. find your stuff if they somehow have not stumbled across your twitter account your instagram or your twitch yeah you guys can find me uh i, I i'm a diligent poster at Hassan Lahan on Twitter, I'm I'm tweeting nonstop. My Instagram is Hassan D Piker. Uh, that's where I put my thirst traps. If you wanna if you wanna look at those, and also consistently throughout the day, I have some memes that I post on there. It's more visual. And lastly, uh, you can find me live every single day at after 11 a.m. Pacific, unless I'm on a podcast. Uh, after 11 a.m. Pacific at Twitch.tv slash Hasanabi. But if you find it to be intimidating, if you think that it's uh, wild that there's, you know, 30,000 hormonal teenagers spamming stuff in the chat and that's too confusing for you, uh, a better way to consume my content for you if you are a boomer is on my YouTube. And that is also Hasanabi. So, uh, you know, you can find me that way. It's all different. All of my platforms have different names on purpose, <laughs> making it as difficult as possible great, to figure it out. Great branding. 
I mean, I don't really care. Have you been posting any fleets? How do you feel about fleets? I post zero fleets. I do not post fleets. I am opposed Damn. to uh, posting fleets. I, I mean, maybe one day I will, but I haven't seen, I haven't clicked on a single fleet, which is the funniest part about it, is that, like, I, I also have not looked at a person's fleet yet, and I will <laughs> not. Why would I do that? I don't even have it yet. Loser. You're not even I a know. real poster, dude. That's <laughs> why. This fucking Twitter knows, dude. You're a fake poster. <laughs> yeah. I think that's what we're doing. Okay, we have here. to edit that out. I can't. I can't. I might. Oh yeah, no. Everybody that. now knows you're a fucking <laughs> fake poster, dude. <laughs> that, Thank thanks you, a lot, Hassan. Hassan. Uh, good. Have fun streaming today. Tell the chat we said I hello. Will do. And we'll talk to you All soon, right, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you for listening to the Insurgents. Please remember to subscribe over at theinsurgents.substack.com. Find the podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. And please remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's very helpful and we appreciate it a lot. But please, again, don't mention Ken Klippenstein in the review. He is banned from the show. It's a lifetime ban. So please do not mention him in the review. And we'll be back later this week with more of the content that you know and love. Goodbye.